Inside the Ring is sponsored by Egg Weights, Liquid IV, and... Hey, everyone. It's Rebecca Ruber with Inside the Ring. And today on the show, we have 140-pound professional boxer from Brooklyn, New York, fighting in the 10-round main event against William Silva on Saturday, October 16th at the Barclay Center, promoted by Triller Fight Club and broadcasted on Fight TV. With a record of 25 wins, one loss, 21 by way of knockout, we have Cletus Selden. Welcome to the show, Cletus, and thanks so much for joining me. I'm excited to be on. It's fight week and getting the last preparation before we get, in, get into it. You know, the haircut is like the biggest thing. At, when you get in, into these fights. Well, it is. And I'm glad that I caught you in this moment because I had a couple of people tweeting me when I was asking for questions for you. And they were wondering, the fans are wondering, what hairstyle, what hair color are we doing for this Saturday's fight? Are you able to tell us? Yeah, yeah. So uh, back in the day, I went to purple. This time I'm going with the blonde mullet. I'm going with the blonde, bleach blonde on top, brown on the side, going with the mullet. Amazing. Love it. I can't wait to see the final look. I wonder if we'll be able to see the final look by the end of this episode. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. So how, how are you feeling? Are you, do you have a lot of nerves? Are you just more excited than anything else? Just walk me through how you're feeling. Um, usually like the last like two days. So today is Wednesday, Thursday. We, Thursday night I head out to, uh, to the hotel, but it's just getting all these little errands done so that everything's perfectly in place you got to be like a perfectionist on everything you do mm-hmm. so uh, for me at least so if everything's not perfect then I gotta just I don't want to worry about it so I'm getting every single thing done per accordingly to time and as well making weight isn't the uh part as well people forget about yeah <laughs> well do you have any superstitions that you do before every fight or do you kind of just have a routine but it doesn't matter if you stray from it um, the only thing I have now is I still wear the same fight underwear. Like, where's my fight underwear? Get out. You know, no I, way. I need my, my fight underwear. I still wear the same fight underwear. It's the same ones. I only use it for the fights, and I have, that's my fight underwear. <laughs> well, I mean, you've been fighting for a while now, so that's a pretty old pair of underwear. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah they're nice. And I don't know what it was. It just became my fight underwear. And uh, I make sure that I have it. I used to have, like, Weighing underwears, but then like helping me with send you underwear to wear. So I was like, all right, I'll just I'll get rid of that one. And uh, another thing is, uh, usually we, we tape, uh, we wrap up the left glove before we wrap up the right glove right before we go out. And that was just something that you did. And I mean, was there a reason behind that, or it just? <sighs> I think it was like a superstition from my uh, my trainer who did it. So I kind of left that. And the right hand usually my is my power hand, so. It made sense to me at the time and still do. I mean, we've seen it work. So if it works, it works. Don't. Yeah. Um, I want to start with you by talking about your very, very beginning. Um, when did you pick up your first pair of gloves and why? Uh, 22 years old was when I picked up my first pair of boxing gloves. Um, I was a three sport athlete in high school and my goal in life was always to be a professional athlete. I just couldn't find myself on the football field, you know, I'm only five, seven and a half. So that wasn't going to work out. So I found myself in a jujitsu school, like a local gym, and I got pretty good at it. And next thing you know, my brother's like, hey, why don't you uh, do some stand up with me? And it was the worst. I was possibly the worst stand up guy ever. We went to a gym that was local, uh, this Atlantic boxing and uh, boxing gym, where they had all these pros and it became one of the best gyms I didn't know at the time in the country. 
So when we got there, I showed up and I went in the gym ring and got my ass whooped. I got beat up everywhere. I never seen a place where uh, you go to the gym and there's a bucket of mouthpieces and just kids just grabbing mouthpieces going in, just sharing headgears, they're sharing gloves. I'm like, bro, what is this? I'm like, I'm going to get my own gear. <laughs> I'll come back. And when I went back, I noticed that, you know, these kids have been boxing there for many years. I'm 22 years old. And I noticed that the kids that have been boxing forever, they kind of got bored of it. And they would only come two to three days a week. So I came, you know, five days then seven days. And I went twice a day. And then with one year, I started beating all these guys up, the pros, the amateurs. I earned everyone's respect. And, uh, and I was able to, you know, make something out of that, which was, uh, has been very successful for me in, in the boxing ring. At what age did you go pro? I would say 25, I believe I went, I went professional 25. I've been boxing for 10 years, so uh, professionally 10 years, so. Okay, and did you feel like starting at 22, like you said, you have kids that have been boxing since they were three years old or just as they were beginning to walk. So what motivated you to continue this uh, pursuit in the boxing industry? Um, to go pro and not feel, I, I guess, not feel discouraged about those that were competing a, lo a lot longer than you. Uh, because I was so bad at boxing, it was like almost a joke. Like it was so bad that I was like, I have to get better at this if I'm going to do anything with, with if I want to be, uh, at the time I want to go back to MMA. I went to boxing to maybe do MMA because the guys, MMA really didn't have a box. So I'm like, all right, I'm really bad at this. I'm going to get really good at it. And the difference between me and the other uh, boxers were I did play sports in high school. I did play. Uh, I, I was a wrestler. I was a football player. And I built a foundation of strength over everybody else. Everybody else is long and lengthy. I was like, all right, you know, I am a totally different breed than everybody else that's in here. Plus, you know, then I added in, hey, I'm Jewish. I'm a white kid from boxing, boxing. I'm from Long Island, and I can punch much harder than everybody else. I already knew my ranking in the amateur game was not going to be there for me. You know, I don't have the style. I was more professional. And once I really thought of it and, and, and put my mind to it, I said, okay, let's figure this out. And I went professional. And that first win you get is probably still one of my favorite moments all of sports. You know, you're like, oh, my God. Because, you know, when you go after your own dream, there's so many people just saying, no, 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 no. And then you go and prove them wrong. Was there a specific moment in time that you remember that you realized that being a professional boxer was what you were meant to do? Um, no, I still believe I love football. Like if I had a passion, it's still football. I love football. And the great thing that I, I love about probably the sport of boxing is the fact that I can uh, show my uh, heritage as being a Jewish athlete, while other sports you can't do any of that. You can't represent anything else but whatever the organization tells you. So for me, being the Hebrew hammer and being able to show that and represent that in the ring is probably one of the, my favorite parts of, of, of boxing. 
Well, speaking of your nickname, how, how did you acquire that nickname, the Hebrew Hammer? Uh, as the amateurs, there would be these tournaments, and I would go all over the place around the country. And in amateur boxing, there's really no knockouts, really, or standing eight counts. So I would just go out there and just knock these guys out and or give them a standing eight count. I was like, who's that guy? What is he? I think he's a Muslim Jewish kid. Uh, he has a hammer on him. And then I would go to another one, another one, and they're like, oh, he's the Hebrew hammer. So it's the name of the people that, you know, you can't make up your nickname. It's the one they gave me, and that's the one I ran with. Did you compete for the New York Golden Gloves, or did you guys have diamond gloves in New York? No, I fought in the New York Golden Gloves, so I fought in it twice, and then I went open. So in my beliefs, you should do amateur boxing for about three years. You, you do all the tournaments, and then you do them twice. So once you're open class, you get to do them twice. And I was able to get all the way to the finals on my first time in the open class. I fought a gentleman named Eddie Gomez. The kid was 97 and, like, one. He's, like, the amateur, like, God, like, and... I got over there. I lost to the finals to him. Um, I was proud of it. Uh, and I was like, okay, you know, I, I compete in all these tournaments. It's ready to go to pro. But that I fought in. I fought in the national team for the New York, uh, for the New York Golden Gloves, the national team on their team. Uh, the Ringside World Championships, I won that. And it was basically off of my conditioning and power. Um, what, and speaking of just your power and how you train for major fights, just like the Saturday, what is your weekly workout regimen? Um, do you box every day or do you split it up? Like, how, can you tell the fans what exactly you do to get yourself in fighter shape? So Monday through Friday is basically, uh, we go to boxing, um, either in the afternoon or five days a week. I do hot yoga. I do hot yoga five days a week, no matter what, like no one like believes in it. I do hot yoga and I do, uh, Hot, uh, hot yoga Pilates. I do Pilates a lot. And it keeps my muscles um, very loose, very elastic, and I'm able to throw punches uh, much better than I used to. And because I had five major surgeries, that's probably my biggest difference I uh, was able to create. So, oh, yeah. I would have never taken you for, uh, for a yogi. Oh, man. I've been going to hot yoga for... Uh, five years now and it sucks because my girl my new girlfriend um she comes with me to hot yoga i can go to the boxing gym for 10 years you know maybe one or two people talk to me i don't talk to nobody like i enjoy it that way and all of a sudden she starts coming in and now everyone she's super friendly and everybody loves it now i gotta go there people say hi to you they would talk to you i'm like oh my god she's ruined my rep my rep, my rep game is gone <laughs> Well, um, in regards to um, your transition from amateur to professional, besides adding hot yoga into the mix, what have you had to do uh, to change your fighting style? Or did you even have to change your fighting style from what you used to do in amateurs versus pro? Absolutely. During the amateurs, I didn't have a coach. Uh, I was just working with the I was working out of the gym, but the coach wouldn't really like work with you, work with you because he was a big amateur coach and I had a professional style. So once I told um, some guy at a gym, named Steve Damiani, I was like, yeah, I'm looking to go pro. And this guy named Big George, he's very known in the boxing game, was there. And he's like, yeah, you want to go pro? I'll take care of you. I didn't know Big George at the time. You know, he just takes fighters, uses them, and they just 
like he takes money from these guys who make $800 kind of guy. And this guy, Steve called his trainer named Pete Brodsky down in Florida. I didn't know at the time Pete trained five world champions. He used to be the running, uh, used to run the Westbury boxing club. And at the time I heard there used to be sometimes to 20 professional boxers in the gym when he would, when, when he was there. And that's just like mind blowing uh, back then, I guess the eighties and, and the nineties. So I went down there to Florida. Uh, he was a partner with this gentleman named Ed Gersh, a, uh, a Jewish uh, like millionaire, big guy. And I went down there and just like put on a showcase for them. Uh, I just took what I learned from football. Like I made my own DVD cassette. I made my own highlight tape. No one helped me with that. And I sent it over. I brought it with me. They watched it. And then we went sparring. Um, and it was on not to the last day that they, they liked me because the last day, instead of me going out there trying to punch as much as I want, they said, go ahead, box a little bit. I said, all right, box. And I was nice and slick and I knocked that guy down that they had a fight coming up for. And when I came back, they, they wanted to sign a contract with me. And um, Ed Gersh at the time, they, they really wanted to bring up a, uh, their own fighter, a Jewish fighter, and make something out of them. And that's it. That's history. And here you are. You're about to be the main event at the Barclays Center this Saturday. Um, well, there was there was note that I got. Uh, you were deep in training for a fight at the end of October. Then that fight was canceled, and then you got the call for this event. How did how did this opportunity come into play for you? What happened with the fight that was supposed to be at the end of October? Can you give us any details on that? So I was originally training for a September fourth bout. Um, so I started like my whole summer was basically to train for the September 4th bout. When I showed up to the weigh-ins, my opponent, uh, I guess he faked his history report on his eye exam and they found out about it and they basically canceled the fight. Wow. So I'm just like, Oh wow. And then a couple of days later, Joe DeGuardia from Starboxing calls and said, Hey, we got you on the Joe Smith card. If you want it against, uh, William Silva. So I'll kind of look at it. Yeah, I'll take it. And then two weeks later, turns out Joe Smith gets COVID. Joe Smith's from the same gym I'm from as an amateur too. So it's kind of funny, like, cause we know each other very well. He gets COVID and you're, you're like, all right, I'm just gonna go hang out and do nothing for a little bit. And then, and then I got the rest, which was great. Um, and then I'm drinking bottomless mimosas, eating, I think eight pancakes. I think must have had 14 mimosas. And I see a message from DeGuardia. He's like, give me a call. And I'm like, all right. And I call him up and he's like, I think I'll get your fight October, uh, was it 16th? When's the date? October 16th for the uh, Barclays Center. I was like, what? He's like, if you don't hear back from me tomorrow, it's off. I said, all right, I'll take it though. I'm taking it. Just like, you know, promoters talk. You just want to just give it to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One day goes by, two days later, it's a Thursday. He's like, hey, to gringo. And he gives me a call. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, you know, when opportunities show up, it's up to you to take it. Um, originally, they had a, I wasn't going to be the main event. And then I guess after some talking, they decided to make me the main event. And it was about, I think it was like 11 days ago that we officially got the call for this fight and I was already in good shape from the September bout the actual the week in 
two or maybe three weeks off definitely helped me, uh, even on my birthday. So like September 11th, I ran, uh, 35 miles for my birthday, you know, cause we'd, we'd had another fight. So I ran and I was like, all right, you know, that was my fight. I get to go run. You, so I'm in great shape. for every, for every year. Yeah. So, uh, I started doing this, uh, maybe three years ago, three years ago, I started running, you know, I did, uh, for 33, I did 33 years. It was the first time I never fought in like September or October. So I was able to do it. Uh, but last year during COVID, uh, going through a lot, you know, I left my, my girlfriend left, uh, I had nowhere to live, a family at 34 years old, like adopted me, uh, the, the Ramseys and they made me like one of their kids and, uh, still grateful for that and I live with them but uh I was still kind of in a little bit of a dark place so I fasted for four days and then I ran 50 miles I ran from JFK to Shirley uh where I grew up to my parents house and I was like I'm into something today (laughs) how do you Um, grow that discipline to be able to run 50 miles I run a mile and I'm huffing and puffing and I'm in pretty decent shape or so I I know I could I know I can run 20 miles pretty, you know, pretty good. So, and I ran the 33 before and the 34. And then like the week earlier, before I did the 50, I ran 20. So, you know, uh, but I was originally just going to run 34 miles, but my buddy who picked me up, he's like, 50 just sounds better. I'm like, all right, you know. You can't back and down on that. Once he says 50, you can't do any less. Oh, man. And so I mean, you got the little well, the little app, you just like mark through your thing. I'm like, JFK, come all the way down here. Got to leave it this time so it's not too late. And I remember the first mile, it was hard because I haven't eaten nothing for four days. Um, but uh, so I'm like, oh, we're going to find something today, mother flocker. Like we're going <laughs> to find whatever you in search of, mother flocker, because you've been through all this stuff. You're going to find that today. And boy. Woo, did I? Uh, halfway marker, uh, like Bayshore, got to relax uh, a little bit. But uh, every 7-Eleven, I stopped and I got a drink. And sometimes those drinks came a little earlier because my legs were just dead. And I just remember finishing the 50 miles, how different it was when you, you finish a boxing match. You know, everybody's in the ring cheering for you. Backstage, everyone wants to say hi to you, take a photo with you, your family's there. When you run 50 miles... Ain't no one there. You just, I found, I went to my car, grabbed my keys and drove home in really bad pain and took myself out to dinner. Uh, I got a nice, uh, my favorite place is in Sydney on Long Island. Got a tomahawk steak at the bar, ate it by myself and enjoyed myself that night. And then my roommate took me out and they had a little party for me. I didn't know about, but I appreciated that. That's awesome. So, so clearly you were physically prepared for this fight that you didn't know you were going to have up until a few days ago. Um, but has anything changed in your training since finding out that you're fighting Brazilian boxer, William Silva? Yeah. So usually I go down to training camp in Florida, but because of short notice, I just said, I can't waste the two days of traveling which could be maybe three days uh, to give or take traveling back and forth. And with all these restrictions going on, it just wasn't worth it. So Joe Gadijan at the Westbury gym uh, had some amateur fighters that kind of are the prototypical fighters that are almost just like Silva, you know, little tall, 
fight straight up. They throw their punches. So I was able to get a lot of rounds, a lot of work with those guys and still be at home to be able to deal with all my uh, my rehab stuff like the hot yoga, physical therapy or the acupuncture uh, that I do as well. What's your game plan going into Saturday night's fights? Are, are we going to see a different style from you than what we've seen in the past? Or what, what do you have going on? Well, you guys haven't really seen me in action, especially on the Trill Network, but I'm coming to knock you out. I get knocked out. I put on a show. I throw over 100 punches every round. I'm in your face. When you breathe, you're going to just breathe on my my mullet right down there. Just gonna take that big breath. Man, this thing is just so good. It's so fly. I'm like, wow, that's, that is a really nice mullet. And Ben, I hope it's probably get some blood in it or whatever. But I'm there to, to put on a show and uh, be back on that platform. And, and I'm excited to be on the Thriller Network with everything that they uh, produce and uh, the, the whole entertainment factor is like perfect match in heaven for me. Well, it was funny when I was offered the opportunity to interview with you and I was looking at your name and I'm like, this guy sounds so familiar. I haven't heard this name in a while, but why does it sound? So, why, why do I know this name? And I looked up your name and the first thing that popped up was Cletus, then Zab Judah. And I was like, holy shit. This was the, what the people called the underdog yeah. of that fight. Now, I wanted to ask you, as soon as I realized how I recognized your name, what, what was it like leading up to that fight, knowing that you were referred to as the underdog? How do you take that, um, that constant kind of put down of people just not believing in you and your ability to beat Zab Judah? And how did you put that emotion to the side and end up taking home the W. Uh, there was a lot going into that because first thing my dad said, you know, my dad's from Bedside, Brooklyn. He's like, Oh, you can't beat Zab Judah. He's from Brooklyn. I said, what? He said, what? And in my mind, I'm like, I'm the favorite, you know, I'm going to go do all this and train as hard as I want. And there's no way I'm going to lose this fight. And the next thing you know, I go to the, uh, there's like a press conference. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm on the left side. This is the B side. Like, what, what's going? This is, like, this is my promoter, and I'm on the. This is my, what is, I'm like, why am I speaking first? I then found out the promoter uh, had a contract with Zeb Judah, and I'm the B guy, and he's the A guy. I said, no flocking way am I letting this guy come in here, the promoter or Zeb Judah, leaving trying to play me like that. And uh, us trained from there on. I, I even told the trainer that don't even stop this fight because I'm not only getting that, I'm getting my bonus for my knockout as well. So when around 11, they told me, hey, it's round 11. I said, let's go get that payday for that knockout. So I'm getting my bonus and I fought for that bonus and I, and I got it. Well, it was well deserved. Um, are, what are your emotions walking out, walking into the ring and standing there staring at your opponent? just moments before you're about to throw your first punch. So everything like is super calm and relaxing until I get my hands wrapped. Once my hands get wrapped, like that, uh, that, that animal that I have uh, inside me just like become something. Cause legally now I can literally, I can do whatever I want according to the boxing rules to seriously hurt somebody. And that person can do it to me. And I literally become some kind of animal. Um, and then when I get into the ring, you know, you have done everything possible to get yourself here in the amateurs. Sometimes, you know, you, you, you 
you make sure you don't try to do everything because in case you lose, you know, you gotta have this reason. For me, absolutely not. I put everything into it. I know what it takes and I don't want to look back at my career or my, or my life or that night saying, oh, I should have just did a little bit more. While I'm in the center of the ring, when I'm about to fight the guy. <laughs> well, um, I have a couple more questions before we go into our speed round game that I like to conclude with. Uh, first question being, do you um, have any words to say to your opponent that you will be fighting this Saturday at Barclay Center? As soon as he gets to New York and he stays COVID-free and we do the weigh-ins, I will be completely happy with, with that alone because I got all the way up to the last one to the weigh-ins and then the Joe Smith thing. Like, I just want that to happen. I'm just so happy. Please just do that. And I hope he enjoys his trip here. There's a great show going on that night. And hopefully he enjoys that because, I don't know, I just like to live in that little, that hell they call that, like, fire, like, breathing down your your, your whole neck and just taking away everything that you enjoy. I'm sitting there like, let's go. This is, this is my thing. So I don't think um, he's going to be too happy about that, but the show's going to be really good. So if you can stay after and watch, you know, the super guy and, and that'd be great. Do you have any uh, words to your fans that will be listening to this, uh, to this episode of inside the ring? Oh, the hammerheads are going to be in, in attendance. I love them. They're drunk, loud, obnoxious, rude uh they are uh insane they are not polite people and i love it i love it you know they're like the raiders of the fans like everybody in the whole the whole league just hates these people like they're just like what are they doing like they're the worst and they that is what it is and i love it so they're going to be in full effect and uh as soon as i always said if you come to one of my fights you know next time bring two or three people because they're going to bring two or three people after that because I'm so uh, so much different than what you see on, on, on regular boxing on TV. Well, I hope to see that firsthand. Now, we're going to go into what I call unboxing the boxer more specifically is the segment. All right. Pretty much what I do is I ask you a bunch of random personal questions and you just answer with the first thing you can think of. All so right. are you ready? Let's go. All right. If you were a pro fighter, what could you picture yourself doing? professional boxing or i would own a comic book shop okay uh favorite sports team dallas cowboys favorite food oh, that's gonna be pizza very new york of you uh, favorite movie favorite movie is a dark night with the joker heath ledger of course uh favorite musical artist oh my favorite takashi 69 is by far my Favorite artist. Everybody hates him. I love this guy. I wish he came to the fight and walked out with me. This is He's my favorite. We got to get this out to him. I, I don't know if he's still in New York. I, I don't know, but uh, that's a very unpopular opinion, but I like your answer. Uh, I love it. Um, who uh, is your favorite boxer besides yourself? Uh, Henry Armstrong, the greatest boxer of all time. He owned three of the eight titles. He should have had four but the referee kind of shaked him on it. But he literally came out every fight of every round and just went tug into war, threw a lot of fight, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of punches, and just wore people down. Henry Armstrong is the greatest fighter of all time. What is your biggest fear? Um, disappointing myself, disappointing myself, and not taking advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. 
Um, your favorite holiday? My favorite holiday, whew, probably my birthday. Uh, I think they celebrated my birthday for a whole month this year. It was great. I still get birthday <laughs> messages. <laughs> Any excuse to celebrate, right? Um, oh. Things that annoy you the most or thing, if it's just one thing. Um, making weight. Making weight is probably the most annoying thing. And, and it's not just making a weight. It's people talking to you outside of like, like I'm prepared to have an interview with you. But then when people are just like, oh, how's your day going? I'm like, come on. That, that really annoys me. Like, just stop, please. Uh, what was your first job if you had a first job? Uh, 13 years old, I worked at Meineke Mufflers. Uh, my dad got me the job for bending pipes. He got my brother the same job when he was 13 years old. And it taught you one thing very important. Uh, it's either you like working manual labor or you don't like working manual labor. And I flocking knew at 13 years old, I am not getting a job to do manual labor. I would rather get punched in the face continuously than do manual labor. That's Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm allergic to grass, trees. Like I can't be doing any manual labor at all. Uh, what If you have a middle name, what is your middle name? My name is Lewis, or Ruben Label is my Jewish middle name. Uh, if you had one superpower, what would you like to have and why? Oh, my superpower would definitely be, I probably want to be a little bit invincible so I could hear everybody talking a little smack, you know? It's like, oh, what are you doing over there? Oh, yeah, yeah, I got you. I'll come out to it, like I told you. <laughs> and your favorite snack? Uh, my favorite snack is probably... Uh, Fruit. I love fruit so much. Uh, I ate so much fruit that actually made me fat. Uh, there's so much sugar in it. So I, I cut fruit out of my diet for this fight, and I was so upset about that. Oh, wow. Is What are you excited to eat once you make weight? Uh, once we make weight, I usually get the same thing. I usually get a, a steak, uh, asparagus, and mashed potatoes. I tell the, the waiter or waitress to cut it in half. We only bring half out because if someone playing, we need it all. So just bring half out. I'll eat that go back to the hotel, take a nap, and eat the rest of it. Sounds amazing. Um, what country would you love to visit? I want to go to Japan. I want to go to Japan. Um, I'm a big, uh, big time uh, toy collector. So, and, you know, they got the Pokemon stuff too. I got like that little like kid still inside me. So Japan, even my girlfriend said, hey, if you ever get married one day, our honeymoon's going to be in Japan. I said, Let's go. Well, I heard that you have quite the Funko collection. How did that mm -hmm. get started? Um, I've never seen Star Wars, never seen Marvel. And um, next thing you know, like uh, my girlfriend at the time was like, oh, you know, she bought me like one of these Star Wars things. I was like, oh, whatever. And I put to the side, there's like all these characters on the back. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm never going to buy all these things. And then next thing you know, it turns out these Star Wars Funko Pops, you know, they, they have like this collectible line. And it, it's like little bobblehead vinyls, all, all these Star Wars movies. So I bought them all up. And then I started watching all the movies. And I'm like, oh, I really like these things. Then I watched all the Marvel movies. I'm like, oh, I really like these things. Uh, then it turned out that these figures that I bought uh, are valued at a tremendous amount of money. So, for instance, I sold a Funko Pop on Sunday for $3,500. Get out. Yeah, $3,500, the Flock Chewbacca Funko Pop, 480 pieces. And uh, there's a video of me buying one for $12,000 on YouTube.
Um, then someone just offered me someone just offered me twenty five thousand dollars for other uh, the messages too for that particular pop. So it's like uh, this is like stocks. Like you hear like Pokemon like like that. Funko yeah. pops are just like that. And the collectible game is it's so much fun. Like that's what I was doing earlier today. Uh, I should be doing all this stuff. I was just playing in my, my big toy box that I got. That is, is there one specific Funko that you have that no matter what you'll always keep? Or are you like, eh, for the right price, I'll sell all of them? There's a uh, holographic Darth Maul. It's like the legend, the god, the, like the, the Funko pop that everybody would want in their Star Wars collection or any collection. It's like a, the piece to have. And I always said, if I'm going to die, just bury me with that bad boy. <laughs> Uh, okay, circling back to our final question. Uh, what is your five-year plan? Where do you see yourself in five years from now? Uh, five years, I want to stay in boxing as long as I am able to own and afford my house. Uh, I don't want to buy uh, like a down payment. I want to do something that my parents still fight for today is owning their house. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to own my house. I want to own it in bright waters. Uh, that's like my right, right near Bayshore, right uh, on Long Island. Uh, Suffolk County, and I want to own it and be like, that's my house. I worked all this time, and I was able to do something that many people in their entire lives never get to achieve, is actually own their home. And I got an awesome girlfriend. She can pay the bills on that one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, on that note, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an amazing time talking to you. Uh, If you have any social media you'd love to plug or anything else, like the fight, feel free to do that now. Yeah, the fight's uh, on Thriller Network or fight.tv. If you have a smartphone or a smart TV, you can watch the fights up there, download the app. Uh, the fights are only from 6 to 9, though. So you got to remember that's the big difference uh, from, from usually you watch the fights at 9 to 6 to 9. Um, my social media is Life of Cletus on Instagram. Uh, half Gladder, Half Geek is my YouTube channel. And I'm at my, my buddy's shop, uh, Jedi Barber in Shirley. And my buddy Sean's been cutting my hair for about 10 years now. He does a great job, so... Oh, let's see, let's see the final look. How how's the hair oh, look? How's that bad boy looking? Nice and flow. He's got that flow. Oh, I love the curls. I love it. A lot of volume. Yeah. That's called a Jew flow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And best of luck on Saturday, October 16th at the Barclay Center. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Inside the Ring is sponsored by Egg Weights, Liquid IV, and Goalie. Egg weights are the only hand weights in the world that conform to your body's natural motion. These weights are a boxing breakthrough. The palm-centered weights are the most balanced, compacted, and ergonomic shadow boxing weights in the world. They are specifically designed to flow with any striking form and are amazing tools for building endurance, power, speed, and mental toughness. Egg weights are now the standard for Olympic athletes, professional, and public boxing clubs across the USA and Europe. Get yours now at eggweights.com and use code Becca Ruber for 10% off. Hydrate, energize, and sleep better with Liquid IV using the science of CTT. CTT enhances rapid absorption of our wellness ingredients into the bloodstream. 50 million servings have been sold. They are gluten-free, no artificial sweeteners, they're vegan, and U.S. order ship-free. I personally have been using Liquid IV since 2019, and all their products not only taste delicious, but they are highly effective. They're great for hydrating before, during, or after an intense workout, needing an energy boost during that 2.30 p.m. crash, and their sleeping products will have you falling asleep within 20 minutes and have you waking up with zero grogginess. 
Use code RebeccaRuber25 for 25% off your whole order and free U.S. shipping. Goalie Gummies are gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, and gelatin-free. 100% natural and plant-based, get all the age-old benefits of apple cider vinegar in a delicious gummy. On top of having the benefits traditional ACV has, Goalie Gummies have additional benefits including superfoods, good taste, good smell, better for your teeth enamel, and they're easy to take. Use code RebeccaRubert for 5% off your next purchase. Remember, every purchase using these codes helped the show tremendously, so please consider checking out these products. And if you decide to purchase, take a picture of your order and tag me at Inside the Ring Official for me to repost on my Instagram story. Thank you.